0: Hello and welcome to This is Modern Rock, the podcast that takes a month by month look at the modern rock charts. I'm your host, Will Westerkow, and today we're talking about August of 1993. Joining me today to talk about songs on the modern rock charts is Kevin Macbeth. Hi, Kevin. What's up? How are you doing? What's up? I'm good. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Kevin, you work under the name of Fabulon sometimes when you're doing musical projects. And Fabulon charted on the Modern Rock Charts in August of 1993. So we're going to be hearing a Fabulon song later in this episode. And I'm looking forward to that.
1: Excellent. Thank you.
0: All right, well, we're going to kick things off with what I like to call the mystery achievement. I'm going to play a song from the lower reaches of the Modern Rock Charts this month. Listeners, you can see if you know what it is. And we'll tell you what it is after the song. Cracking
1: Those who remain, those who have been, and cracked and scratched, bloody but just one thing stays the same. Time gets hard, then get harder still. I will be still. I will be still. Well, what's the song?
0: It's called Be Still. That hit number 28. That was Piece Together, and uh, it's not really a real group. This was from a 1993 fundraising compilation promoting peace in Northern Ireland, and that song features Peter Gabriel, Sinead O'Connor, Fergal Sharkey from The Undertones, and members of Hothouse Flowers and a bunch of other people. <laughs> the album might be worth checking out for some of you. I don't think it's on Spotify, but it does feature U2 covering... Lou Reed's Satellite of Love, Blur doing an Elvis Costello cover, My Bloody Valentine doing a James Bond theme, and Therapy covering the police. So I don't know, at least it sounds kind of fun. If that sounds like it's up someone's alley, go try to find yourself a copy. It's called Peace Together. Well, for the sake of brevity, let's just jump right into it. August 1993 is a pretty cool month on the charts, and there's a lot of great charting bands whom, unfortunately, we won't get a chance to hear from this episode, Matthew Sweets on here. Smashing Pumpkins are putting out their first single from Siamese Dream. U2's got a new album out. Stone Temple Pilots put out their first single.
1: Oh, dude, I remember it. They all killed me. <laughs> <laughs> that one came out like right when I think Nirvana hit too. Like, I remember the day it was like it came out and everyone's like, this is going to be a hit. This is going to be a
0: smash. And then
1: something dropped.
0: Yeah.
1: And I always say that, you know, Nirvana killed me because it was like it just changed overnight. Overnight. So, uh, you know, that's sort of what the the fate of Fabulon and and that, or at least that particular record in a mood and stuff. But I was glad and blessed that I charted it. Uh, I when you mention all those band names, I I just get all pissed off. I'm like, (laughs) God, you know. It was like I woke up and everybody was wearing plaid, and I was like, What the? What just happened?
0: Exactly. Yeah. And it
1: just literally, like, uh, sorry. Go ahead. I went off on a (laughs) tangent.
0: No, it's. it's, I like the tangent. No, I understand the feeling. Yeah. No one. No one uh, tipped you off to the new style
1: no it was literally overnight it was like guess what just happened to you and i was like what it's like this I, think it was, I believe it was nevermind dropped and i was like okay and everybody said you know you don't understand this is gonna change everything you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i had just made a kitschy trippy pop record whatever and it just kind of got real depressed about the whole thing everything became like alanis morris it just you know the 90s dude it just all happened oh yeah like yeah you know i mean one one minute you are listening to the cure and the next thing it's smashing pumpkins like it just went instantly to a new thing faster than I'd ever seen him, between like, you know, Beatles or whatever. So I say it lovingly, but yeah, man, Nirvana killed me.
0: Well, and it's it's interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm following the modern rock charts here and that instantaneous change is not happening on the charts so much. Everybody talks about it like it changed abruptly. I think it happened for, like, the culture at large. But for some reason, like, The Cure and Depeche Mode and even, like, Susie and the Banshees, they're still showing up on the charts here. It was
1: more a record industry thing. You got to, you know, kind of like saying it's like I make banana pie and then, like, I made 20 pies and everyone says these are the best fucking banana pies they ever had and the next day it was apple pie. It doesn't mean that people are not going to like banana pies. just the record company suddenly just went we have to all flop there and all those people were signed. I was signed with Lenny Kravitz and stuff at the time. It was like he, he made it through, but it was just kind of like it's changing. So the industry went that way.
0: Yeah. So even though people are still listening to uh, the older bands, yeah, the industry's like they just want to sign people with the new sound. I
1: still listen to Pumpkins. I love Pumpkins. You know, I listen to that now, but that's where it went. It was just an immediate rush from like chuck berry to the beatles it was just like everybody every label wanted another beatles and so my label they kind of lost interest in me because you know I, was, I just didn't match this that scene
0: sure yeah
1: so i don't mean it's not like a tragic story but that's you know kind of what happened to that so yeah but yeah. i mean people still played the song and liked it but it just the industry said we're going to throw our money you know and get the next plaid guy and the next yeah. kurt cobain kind of thing
0: that's right yeah all right. Well, let's move on to the uh, the higher charting songs of the month. We have one song that hit number one this month, and uh, that's from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Kevin, are you a Chili Peppers fan at all?
1: I am actually very much so. Good. Mad respect for that man. Yeah. Mad respect.
0: We've obviously heard from the Chili Peppers on this show before. They've hit number one a few times. They'll be hitting number one many times after this. But um, they formed in Los Angeles in 1982, and I think what's generally considered the classic lineup at this point is Anthony Kiedis, Flea, Chad Smith on drums, and John Frusciante on guitar, Mm -hmm. although John's been kind of in and out of the band at various times, and he was not the original guitarist. Anthony and Flea are the only original members— that are still in the band. The original guitarist Hillel Slovak died in 1988 of a drug overdose, and the original drummer Jack Irons left the band as a result, and he went on to join Pearl Jam for a while, amongst some other things. But we're going to be hearing a song today called Soul to Squeeze. This was originally recorded back in 1991 during the Blood Sugar Sex Magic Sessions, and it was left off the album because the band thought that there were already too many slow songs on the album. It was included as a B side on some versions of Give It Away and Under the Bridge singles, but uh, it wasn't actually available on a regular album until 1993 when it showed up on the soundtrack to the Saturday Night Live sketch comedy turned movie The Coneheads. So, for many years, the Conehead soundtrack was the only place you could really hear this song if you wanted to. Let's go ahead and listen to it. Here it is Soul to Squeeze number one on the modern rock charts the
1: Soul to Squeeze. Yeah. Good memories, man. It's good stuff.
0: Honestly, I think there's only one thing that we can say about the song, and that's... So I was 13 at the time. I thought Soul to Squeeze was pretty great. Really liked the song. I think this is really a stopgap for the band, right? They released Blood Sugar Sex Magic in 1991. They're not going to come out with their next album until 1995. So... I think they had this good song sitting around, nothing going on. You know, Anthony was doing some rehab stuff. And I think they probably said, well, we got to get this out there and let people hear it. Yeah, it's like the one song they put out between 91 and 95. And uh, I think it really works.
1: That's why I have such mad respect for the Chili Peppers. I wasn't into the Chili Peppers or even aware of them. I was basically a child of the 80s. I I had long black hair and was playing Cure songs and trying to write, you know, but you know, the whole chili pepper thing, skateboard music and stuff, but there was something when they, when they did hit with that record, it was just mad respect because they you, growth, growth and becoming matures is, is such an important thing. And like they, they lived it though. I wasn't into, you know, the early chili peppers, it just wasn't my scene. Uh, I believe when everybody matures and kind of welcomes more of the world with that record to me, introduced them in a way that was just, brilliant yeah and then following it's kind of like the stones you know following them through and and just seeing they had that they were blessed they had the chance to really have a long term presence yep and and remain cool and remain dignified and good people and spiritually aligned and stuff that to me is rock and roll that's that was a great record and that sort of introduced the chili peppers to people who knew them and now know them like they know you too, or you know Led Zeppelin, or any of that. They're 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 amazing. They're huge.
0: Yeah, they, yeah, they Mad really respect. are. And uh, I, you know, I was just talking about that with my wife yesterday. Actually, the fact that they've managed to stay cool <laughs> for so long. You know, there's a lot yeah, of bands I mean, that they start out yeah. cool, and by the time they get to their late twenties or early thirties, you look at them, you're like, "Oh, these guys are kind of square now." Somehow the Chili Peppers avoided that.
1: You wear your tragedy. You wear your tragedy. Chili Peppers, they have the scars to show for their career. The Stones have the scars for theirs. I mean, guitar player is dead. Drummer's dead. You know, bass player is dead. Like, just the perseverance, that's what an artist carries, I believe. You know, the lines, the scars, you know, I used to say, and I'm not a religious person, but, you know, you get to heaven, man, I don't think God wants you to be scarless. You know, you got to have a few scars. and, And... Chili Peppers are are an example of that in in
0: one of the most brilliant, respectful ways. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think John Frusciante did some really great guitar work on the song, but by 1993, when the song came out, he was out of the band. I think he had been freaked out by the level of fame that the Chili Peppers got after Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And uh, he's going to be temporarily replaced by former Jane's Addiction guitarist Dave Navarro. But he'll be back in, I think, 1999 for... Californication, but um, yeah, I mean, every, great yeah, everything you were saying about the Chili Peppers is, is true. I looked up their stats. They have spent at this point a total of 91 weeks at number one on the modern rock charts, and they've had 37 different charting songs, which by the way is fourth place behind U2, Foo Fighters, and Pearl Jam, but really close to all of those. So yeah, and they're still doing it. They're still going. They had an album last year. They're still touring. I mean, this band just yeah, is unstoppable. You listen to
1: interviews with them now. They're on Joe Rogan, Anthony Kiedis and stuff. They're, they're, you know, I believe that you could be a great rock star and great people too, and, and they're a good example of that. Yeah. You know, they've really, they're like Fine Wine. They've really, really, really grown into their, their thing. Yep. They've earned it. That's what I'm trying to say.
0: They really have, yeah. Soul to Squeeze was on top at number one for five weeks, so we don't get to listen to any other number ones this month. We're going to have to go down to a number two hit, and we're going to be hearing from Bjork, the Icelandic singer, songwriter, slash poet, actress, producer and fashion icon. Are you a Bjork fan? Do you listen to Bjork much? I was kind of ambivalent about uh, Bjork. Mm-hmm. Nothing to dislike.
1: And in fact, you know, a lot of really cool things. I mean, she was a she was special, she was unique. But it it didn't for me it didn't translate in like, you know, I'm going to have a Bjork collection or uh, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying like it just when you, I saw videos of her or her on the radio or you know just like again mad respect. It just it didn't translate to me as I wasn't a fanboy of Bjork but did. thought she was amazing and, and very cool and can understand why so many people loved her.
0: Yeah, you know I know people who when they saw the Sugar Cubes for the first time Bjork's band before she went solo. They were just blown away and thought it was amazing. And I Mm -hmm. like the Sugar Cube's fine. But man, she is so creative, and she's also an unstoppable force.
1: 100%. You can't buy every record in the world. You can't buy (laughs) every record in the world, but we can appreciate when we hear good music on the radio, man.
0: That's right. So we're going to be listening to a song. It is the first single from Bjork's album Debut, which came out in 1993. Uh, this song is called Human Behavior. And the song was written by Bjork as a teenager when she was still in the Sugar Cubes. Human Behavior. That's
1: it. I remember that song. Dum, 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 dum. Yep. And I'm eating a sandwich. That girl could sing about anything, girl. You, you could be like, <laughs> I'm eating, I'm brushing my teeth. You know, I brush my teeth in the morning. She would sing about anything. Yeah. Like it was a daily routine. I loved it, man.
0: All right, well, York thought it wasn't punk rock enough for the Sugar Cube, so she held on to it until her debut album, and uh, that's what we get here. This, uh, the lyrics are a look at humans through the eyes of a non human animal. Yeah, right, let's just listen to it. This is number two human behavior. Yeah, that was Human Behavior, which, by the way, fun fact, Human Behavior was parodied in an episode of Bill Nye the Science Guy, renamed Cross Pollination. So if any uh, anyone wants to check that out, <laughs> feel free. Yeah, Human Behavior, like, you know the song, obviously, you were singing a clip of it.
1: That's what's important, by the way, the fact that like the second you say it, I'm like human behavior. Like I remember,
0: that's yeah. what
1: makes a great song. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, she was there for a reason. It was on the charts for a reason.
0: Yeah, we remember it. It's, it's something that the first time you hear it or the first time you see the video, you take notice for sure. I read that this album and Bjork in general, but this album in particular, is uh, one of the first albums to introduce electronic music into mainstream pop. I read that from a few sources, and I feel like it's playing a little loosely with the terms electronic music and mainstream pop there. but
1: Yeah, that's that, that bypasses the whole 80s. That's like there were tons of electronic music that would pop.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, she was interested in trip-hop and house music and electronic pop and jazz even, and she was combining these in a, in a way that I think few people had done before.
1: Yeah, she was progressive. It, got, it was progressive. She's like the Susie, the Banshee. She's just... 10 years later, mm-hmm. you know, like pushing the envelope and I call it just progressive electronic rock.
0: Yeah, that's all. And she's compelling to listen to and compelling to watch for sure. And side note, if, for people who are interested in visuals, and I think visuals are important for, for Bjork. Bjork had watched a music video for a French band called Wee oui Wee, oui, And she asked the video's director to shoot the video for Human Behavior. That director's name was Michelle Gondry. He made the video. I think it's really interesting. And he went on to make another seven videos with Bjork after that, as well as a number of incredibly innovative and visually stunning videos for artists like The White Stripes and Radiohead and Foo Fighters. And uh, he's since gone on to become a feature film director. But um, their partnership, I think, is a really important part of Bjork's music and Bjork's visual presentation and her artistry.
1: She's up there with, like, Tom York and stuff. You know, he's interesting. She's an interesting person. So everything visually and people flock to that because it brings cinema, all kinds. She has that special personality. It's like, you know, Tom York, Radiohead's great, but it's Tom York. You're just like,
0: yep. you know, it's
1: like David Bowie. You're like, you know, Susie Sue. That's it. You know, she's got that sheen, man. She's all right.
0: That's right. Yeah. Somehow making things that are almost avant-garde seem palatable <laughs> to the masses.
1: And now, and now we have Billie Eilish, man. You know, it's the same thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, yeah. People are just fascinated by whatever that person can do visually, and, and, and uh, lots of good things will we'll circle people with that much talent.
0: That's right. Here's a fun fact I found. Bjork is officially an Order of the Falcon, or she has an Order of the Falcon. I don't know what you would say, but that is Iceland's only order of chivalry. So she's basically like a knight, but in Iceland. <laughs> All right. Well, Bjork is still making music. She's released 10 studio albums at this point. She's continuing to do her thing and she's generally considered to be a brilliant artist. Agreed. We're going to move on down a little bit to number six and we're going to hear from a band called urge overkill. Ooh, Overkill. do you know these guys?
1: Yeah. Not an expert or anything, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, they were formed in Chicago in 1986 by Nash Cato and Eddie King Roser And uh, they were named after a line in a Parliament song, actually. By 1993, they had moved to a major label. Uh, They opened for Nirvana on tour. And they had released what's generally considered to be their best album, Saturation.
1: I think we did a show with them. I think I was in a band that we opened for Skinny Puppy. Uh A couple of shows in Florida. Not Fabulon was a band that I was in. Very early 90s. Uh, And I think Urge Overkill was on that ticket, too. The Skinny Puppy had been around for a while, but I think Urge had opened for them, and we got invited to open, I guess, for Urge and then them.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: I could be wrong, but it's something about that I remember. It was in a band called The Sleep of Reason at the time. Anyways, I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, no, no problem. I was just going to say, for this album, Saturation, they hired the Butcher Brothers to produce. And uh, these guys, up to that point, were mostly known for their work producing and working with Criss Cross and Cypress Hill, hip-hop mostly. But for some reason, they were selected for this, and it did pretty well. We're going to hear their first single and their highest-charting modern rock song. This is called Sister Havana.
1: Every day just like a vacation with you Mr. Havana. It was a pumping song. It was really hot.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I like this song. I like the band. I think this album's good. They've got guitar riffs that I think are solid. They've got some tunes that really stick. I mean, they sound tight, you know?
1: You had a great name, too, man. Yeah. Urge Overkill. Come on. That's a great name.
0: So one thing about the band that I didn't quite get at the time, didn't make sense to me, I think, as a 13-year-old, is they're really into kind of this retro or maybe ironic retro style. They wore gold medallions and velvet jackets and sipped on martinis and their band shots. It's fun to be on. Yeah, like I read an interview where they said that they were trying to resurrect the era of the swinger, like late sixties Playboy life in America. And yeah, it, it was never clear if they meant it, if they sort of meant it, if they meant it ironically, but not They did it like the Beastie Boys, man.
1: Everything was kitsch. I mean, I'm saying lots, comparing them to Beastie Boys, but they, yeah, it's kitschy. It's, yeah. They all Beastie Boys came out and and were just like, whoa, like it's a cable show. Mm-hmm. It's kitsch and it's cool, and and that's what Urge had. They were cool. So whatever they were doing in their kitchen, their little their little shtick, whatever you might call it, they had the chops to to make that cool.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because as a 13 year old, you know, and obviously I was very influenced by what my peers were into and was on mtv so like you were 13 in 1993
1: i was yeah i'm talking to like a baby
0: (laughs) yeah to me what was cool obviously was was the flannel that you talked about earlier that's the stuff that looked cool to me so when i saw these guys that was not cool like i had i had no reference for any of the 60s imagery that they were drawing on but um I read one article where someone was basically saying they were more punk rock than rock because their whole look and their whole style was basically thumbing their nose at the conformity that they saw amongst all of like the flannel-clad grunge bands. So I don't know if that's true, but something to think about anyway. I'm thinking
1: about it right now.
0: <laughs> you know, I was also thinking, I don't know if you're familiar with The Darkness, but I was wondering, I think I can make a comparison there. The Darkness are also a band that rock pretty hard, and they've got a style that seems tongue-in-cheek. Well,
1: that's what rock and roll is all about to me, man. That's the whole point of it. Yeah. Uh, Everybody I've ever been drawn to, you know, Celine Dion can sit up and sing a great song, you know, but like it's artists that stole from other artists because to steal is true art. You know, Bowie did it. When you do a little shtick, it draws attention and it makes you three-dimensional because you're pulling something and you're mocking something else if that makes sense at the same time and people who do it well end up making the most brilliant songs from it, you know, because they're, they're stealing something. They're making fun of something in a, in a healthy way that they thought was so cool and they're going to bring it back. And it's like a defiance. Like we're talking about Bjork. I mean, Bjork was reminiscent of a lot of cool things we all loved about some of the the females in the eighties and stuff. Like you gotta be visual. You gotta be interesting. Beatles did it. I mean, Sergeant Pepper, like having a shtick, gives you a platform to really, really, really create and make people intrigued. Yeah. You have to be intrigued by rock and roll to me, like, you know, like the pumpkins and stuff. You have to be intrigued by them.
0: Sure. All right. Well, following Urge Overkill's 1995 album, Exit the Dragon, the band broke up. They reunited here and there uh, throughout the 2000s, and they've released two more albums since, most recently in 2022. And I should mention that their longtime drummer, Blackie Onassis, died earlier this year at the age of 57, which, gosh, seemed really young to me.
1: Another one bites the dust.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, that's three songs. We got one more song we're going to talk about. And, Kevin, this is your song. We're going to talk about Fabulon. You know, I somehow stumbled upon a list of albums that came out in 93, and I saw the name Fabulon, and... To me, it sounded like a really stylish robot or like a space alien or something. And my brain goes like, yes, (laughs) I want to go listen to this album Uh, just based on the name. I have no idea what this is going to sound like.
1: Turns out it's a bowling alley cleaner. It's a a shellac that you put on bowling alley lanes.
0: Yeah. But I didn't know that. And uh, it sounded good to me. So I went and sought out the record. And yeah, there's a lot to like. I thought it was really cool. But where did this idea come from?
1: Well, for me, it came from a book called Geek Love when there was this reference to the fabulon circus and i was just like what do i want to call this and someone said to me you know why don't you call it the fabulon circus and i was like well, that's kind of like just taking the whole line you know it's like calling it a chevy truck so my friend we, i guess we were just high and he just said why don't you call yourself kevin Macbeth and call it fabulon and i was like all right i'm either going to be hated worldwide because it sounds just and i mean this with respect but you know like a gay disco album who you know fabulon it's you know, like I remember my record label saying, you need to go out and be like Madonna and dance in front of it. And I was like, man, I think I made a mistake here. <laughs> it's cool. And it's dancing. And I love it. I love making that. But that's not going to be my thing. I'm definitely, I'm six foot five. I'm not Madonna. So I started doing these things because they would say, don't call yourself fabulon. And it was like cookie jar syndrome I was like, I'm so going to call myself fabulon. And so I, it wasn't planned out. It was more of a protest. And a lot of people say that's kind of what put the ax in my back. But I was like, whatever. Yeah. You know, people hated the album cover, and I did everything specifically so people would not think it was Madonna.
0: I like the name. Uh, You know, I said I sought it out because of the name. And I like the album cover, too. I think it's really intriguing.
1: I got so much shit for that. (laughs) (laughs) That ruined your career, that album cover. I was like, what career Thank you, thank you, thank
0: you. Yeah, it's, it's I, I did like one look at the album cover, and you're like, "That's a memorable image right there." You know. That being said, I can see if I was working for the record label and I was trying to sell you to the same crowd that's buying Madonna, I get why they would want a different record cover. But I don't. I thought it was cool.
1: What do you think of the record? And you don't have to be kind. What do you, you said, you no, listen. I like
0: the, I like the album a lot. Yeah,
1: I do. It doesn't really quite quite fit in with the '90s, does it?
0: No. And I was one of my questions I was going to ask you is did you think of yourself as an alternative musician or did you consider yourself a pop artist or what genre did you feel like you were making an album for if you thought about that at all
1: i mean the thing about it was it's like i really didn't think of myself as anything okay that was the problem i mean i wrote what i wanted to write and then i would think of like those interesting things those intriguing people you know mark boland people that would create for something else like i'm creating the fabulon circus i read it from a book I so I never really thought of myself like, oh, I'm Lenny Kravitz or Prince or something that I'm just I'm kind of rock star. Maybe I should have, but I just didn't. I just wrote these songs and people seemed to be really interested in them. But then they just didn't really know what to do because I guess I just didn't really think of myself afterwards. And I should have, I think, in retrospect. I just thought, I'll just keep writing amazing songs that are derivative of my heroes and of you know anything that comes to mind. And, and that's what will come through. Yeah. And I didn't focus on the rock star part.
0: It sounds like you're saying you were focusing on the music and less on the idea of Fabulon as a personality.
1: Yeah, because when people heard it and I made these demos, I, I didn't give them as Fabulon, and then suddenly it was like, oh, you're, you're, this, we're going to sign this, and this is going to be huge. And so then I said, okay, I'll put together a kind of a shell around it. But I just wrote because I, it was interesting to write, and I wanted to write interesting music. Yeah. And it was a bit immature and, and probably could have thought about diving into it more as like, I'm going to make a rock star to myself from this. It kind of intimidated me when it was done. But yeah, it was just to me, it was writing a collage of riffs and grooves and it came out pretty cool. And then once it came out pretty cool, it was like, I guess I have to drive this home, so to speak. And then again, just I tried after it was released and I said, Nirvana, all these people came out. Suddenly, Fabulon didn't seem interesting in that framework in that particular period of time. So I got discouraged.
0: And you mean not interesting to the record labels?
1: I just did a trippy, poppy, you know, almost kind of gay, weird amalgamation of music. And, you know, I wear eyeliner and I'm a child from the 80s. And then when plaid hit, let's just call it that, I was like, I don't know. If, I, don't, I don't think i gonna be able to force this through at all. So I got discouraged.
0: Sure, yes. Yeah, one thing that I think really stands out, and maybe this is a reason why it charted on the modern rock charts, is we've been listening to a lot of really dour songs, um, not necessarily this month, but, you know, Radiohead's Creep just happened. Soul to Squeeze is largely about drug use.
1: What was the Pearl Jam song where he's just like about a girl killing somebody in her classroom? So oh, that Ger- all, that Jeremy. All- yeah, it's, it's a lot of, uh, yeah,
0: it's a lot of downer it's mood. Not, yeah a lot of self-loathing going on. And then we get in a mood, and in a mood is – it's not that mood it's a much more positive joyous mood i think and it sounds very refreshing when played next to these other ones
1: ironically the song is about wanting to cheat on your girlfriend but i made it happy I'm <laughs> for something different you know like it's like what can i tell you
0: well um let's go ahead and listen to it this one hit number 23 on the modern rock charts in august of 1983 this is in a mood by fabulon yeah. Just I read that you wrote and performed and arranged nearly every song on the album. That's pretty impressive.
1: I did write everything except for the cover of Cherish, every note, every voice, everything. Yeah. A few guest musicians here and there, you know, some friends of my producer that kind of thing, but no, it was all written before I even walked in the studio. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, thank you. I have no lack of pride for what I do or, or, you know, whatever. Some people didn't like it and some people did. Yeah. It's fun to write.
0: Is there anything you want to say about in a mood though? I mean, Obviously, I think the song's good. I specifically reached out to contact you because I liked the song and I wanted to feature it on the podcast. You said it's about being in a mood for another significant other. (laughs) Is that more or less the idea? Yeah,
1: but more in a whimsical way. You know, it's just like I'm in a mood for something different, a different taste, a different flavor, a different girl, a different boy. I'm just in a mood, you know, but the rain has come to end my summer fun, you know. it's, it's It was young,
0: yeah. you know,
1: and it was like I was living in the Chelsea Hotel and the, the four track and the little MPC 60, and I just would steal Rolling Stones. It was the time of sampling. Mm-hmm. That just had started. It's another thing, Grunge kind of fucked with a little bit the delight kind of sampling, you know. That's what Fabio that was. It was like sampling and Beatles harmonies and just fun and with no real direction not not like i'm gonna sound like prince or i'm gonna sound like the beatles i just tried to put them all together and just came out with what then became fabulous yeah but in a mood just was one of those songs that just i don't know looking out the window or something and just being young and dumb and full of cum i was like let's just i'm in a mood for something different yeah Uh, yeah it's the beauty of youth
0: yeah well i think it works I'm glad you mentioned Delight. I you know, I was thinking about what this sounds like to me because it does sound very different than everything else on the radio at the time. The only bands I could think of that sounded remotely in the same ballpark, I was going to say Delight, who listeners will know from Groove is in the Heart, and maybe some B52s in the sense of like fun party music that still is, you know, in the rock vein.
1: My writing space was right next to Delight's. Oh, really? Little Italy in New York sub 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 basement rehearsal studios, that's where I just set up a little studio four-track thing back in the early 90s. Delight was next door to me, so it was kind of like Fabulon. Once I established it was going to be Fabulon, we did this kind of competition of love that sound, love what they're doing, and who knows why one takes off and one doesn't, but
0: yeah,
1: mood's I think Intermood's a cool track, and, and uh, it has its own little flavor. It's, it has sauce. There's definitely sauce.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I you know, just want to throw this out there. There's, I think there's other good songs that have some sauce on the album as well. I think listeners should go check it out. There's at least a handful of songs that I feel like could have easily been a single. I'm assuming they weren't. Is this the only single that was released from the album? It
1: was. And we did a video, and, and you can see that on YouTube. But it was like, again, running it up against a promotional team who just went good news and bad news. You know, this was the most important thing to us seven months ago. But we can't release it because guess what just came out? Uh, I just was dumbfounded. I was like, okay. Like I didn't know how to how to do that. I didn't know how to push that through.
0: Yeah,
1: It was like, no man, the kids aren't they're not into this right now. And you're like, damn it. Like where was I six months ago? Like I was rehearsing with delight. We were writing these like fun, you know, in a mood type songs and you know, Groove is
0: in the heart and shit. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. And it was EMI like, yeah, records,
1: and they were like, We're not gonna
0: do it. Yeah. That's too bad. Well, that was our four songs for the episode. Kevin, you took a break from doing Fabulon. I don't know if that was forced on you by lack of record label interest or uh, if you just had other things that you wanted to work on in the meantime. But Fabulon is back after a big hiatus. Do you want to talk about that? How What, what prompted the return of Fabulon?
1: Well, I went on after the Fabulon thing. I was able to get out of my deal and... Created a band called Duckwood that was still rebellious. Hands on Rock played with Adam McDougal. He plays with Black Crows and stuff. Built this band and got another record deal. Changed vibes, so you can actually check that stuff out. It was kind of trippy rock and roll. Then you know, it's sort of like I don't know at that time. Like, like if it's not going to hit, I am not going to walk around New York City bald and with a guitar strapped to my back. I just said, I am. Life is fast and beautiful, and, and I'll find other things to do. Yeah, open a nightclub. I've done lots of things. And I just said, I'll, I'll make Fabulon my mistress. Not my bitch, not my wife, but my mistress. Something that I would just keep in my soul and in my brain. And whenever the time was right, I could approach it again and just do it as we all grow. And as a different kind of man, as a different kind of person. So it was like, well, I just put it aside. And went and experienced other things in life. You know, entrepreneurship and various other weird things and good things and hardship. And then said, you know, hey, you still got this thing Fabulon. You're still in love with her, and brought her brought her back.
0: Well, cool. So, Fabulon is back. Fabulon released the album Fabulon Two last year in 2022. This you said is a double album, 20 tracks. 20 tracks. Yeah,
1: it's a concept but...
0: Oh, is it? What's the What's the concept?
1: I, I use the term concept, meaning that every song has something to do with the song before or after. Oh, okay. In some unique way, it's a It's a continuing. Theme, what that is. I didn't sit down and say, oh, it's going to be angry or it's a concept album about like the dark side of the moon. It's just, it's conceptually, if anybody can go through 20 of them, will take you on a journey. I use the term lightly, but it, it, you know, it wasn't just a series of singles. It was designed to kind of flow as one piece.
0: Right. Okay. Cool. And 20 tracks, that's a lot. You must have had some songs saved up for a while or did you? No, actually,
1: I I sat down and wrote it from scratch. There was nothing like, you know, I just sat down and said, I'm going to start record and 20 songs later. That's when I also just released a one called you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, man, I'm just, I'm writing for it. I'm proud of it. I think it's some good stuff. Okay. I think you'll like it. Cool. And it, it is, it's fabulous. fabulous too.
0: Okay, great. With that, I guess I'm going to close things out. Listeners, if you haven't done so already, if you could rate, review, subscribe and do all that stuff, that'd be great. If you want to contact me, you can reach me at, this is modern at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Kevin, if any listeners are interested in listening to some Fabulon or Duckwood, is there some place we should send them?
1: Anywhere they stream. Apple Music, Spotify, anywhere. Qobuz, SoundCloud.
0: Is Fabulon performing live at all, or is it? No, but that might be next. It's in my drawer, so to speak. Okay, very
1: cool. Fabulon is just my music expression. And uh, again, done in a basement, one-man show. Proud of it. But I think I, I will try to make go out performance soon.
0: Cool. All right. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me. It's really cool to hear all of your thoughts and stories. You know, I'm glad that I have the opportunity to introduce some listeners to Fabulon, or maybe reintroduce it to some people. I'm sure there's a few listeners out there who remember this one.
1: Welcome on. We love everybody.
0: All right. Well, I'm gonna send you all out with a newer Fabulon track. This one is from Fabulon 2, and the song is called Antibody. I got a trouble at no. all